that transformation catch up is going to continue to happen with restaurants. Um, and that will help at least on the marketing side for us. But it really is about personalization. So we've talked about this before. Loyalty, everything else just spams you. Like restaurants, we spam people constantly. Hey, here's a BOGO. Valerie will love a BOGO. Why wouldn't you love a BOGO, right? <laughs> you know the information, the data, everything else. You can use AI. You can use machine learning algorithms. I actually spam. hate BOGOs. No, actually, Valerie doesn't. <laughs> yes. You might. I don't know. This is the Snarketing Podcast for marketers by marketers talking to marketers with just a touch of snark. Now, here are your hosts, Valerie Vespa and Matt Wurst. Greetings and welcome to the 13th episode of the Snarketing Podcast. I'm your co-host, Matt Wurst. And I am the other co-host, Valerie Vespa. Are you laughing because I almost called myself host? <laughs> yes. Yes. We I mean it's been a little while. <laughs> yeah, we were out of practice. It's been a few weeks, but I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to connect. This is our Thanksgiving episode, so in 1 minute or less, Valerie, can you tell me what you're thankful for? Outside of the 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 givens, which are family, a loving family, employment and health for the most part. Um, most recently, I'm very thankful for gluten-free options for my son who is celiac. Um, that still tastes delicious. And I'm very thankful for um, cute animal videos on Instagram to break up the very um, uh, difficult, heavy feeds that I see on my Instagram uh, as of late. Yeah, it's an interesting time. I am thankful for health and personal family safety and I don't know, just being employed at this point, but also uh, for some of the distractions from the things that are happening in the world. And I can't imagine how challenging it is to be someone who speaks on behalf of a brand, given what's happening in the world and in the Middle East and on college campuses and everywhere. But those are creative challenges. Those are strategic challenges for brands, for personal, but we just all got to get through the day each day. I, I totally cannot agree more. And just so you guys know, I'm thankful for you and that you created me as your AI announcer this year. So with that, let's welcome our guest, Casey Terrell, who is well known as a CMO and executive in the restaurant, hospitality, and CPG spaces. And he's really funny. So be prepared to laugh and learn. Take it away, Val and Matt. Casey, welcome to the Snarketing Podcast. Are you sure you knew what you were getting into when you signed <laughs> up for this? Uh, well, it combines three of my favorite things, which are snarky things, port portmentos, which I absolutely love, uh, and marketing. So, yes, I think I did. <laughs> you know, we're 13 episodes in, and you are the first person to recognize the portmanteau that came and as the origin of our name. So thank you for that. That's probably good enough for you to win guest of the year, but the um, nominations are still being received and the voting will be um, will be counted offline. But welcome. This Thank is you a for house being of, here. Yeah, this is a house of learned doctors. So not that hillbilly stuff. Well, so going into the family business, Matt, let's let's talk about the education, because you I did not know this and you and I have known each other for some time. 
but I did not know that, like a certain cousin of mine, you are a graduate of the United States Military Academy. At West Point. At West Point. Do you have to include the at West Point? Apparently you do. It's like Columbia now says Columbia University in the city of New York. I don't know why what the other ones are, but apparently there are other ones. But no, we always tease the Naval Academy about this. Yes. Well, how did you end up choosing that as your path? Is this something that you knew growing up that you wanted to be trim and proper in every possible way? I mean, it's the uniforms, obviously. Um, so my, my parents met, my mom was, this is kind of a crazy story. My mom is from Manhattan. Um, did, you know, her, her dad was with JCPenney for like 50 years when it was based out of New York. You know, a guy started as like a secretary and ended up running all of real estate, kind of a wild story. Um, when they moved to Dallas, it broke his heart. It was very much a New York company. Um, so she grew up Upper East Side in Sutton Place. My dad was from San Francisco, uh, born and raised. They met in Vietnam. Uh, my mom was essentially a nurse, you know, Red Cross volunteer. My dad was a helicopter pilot and they never, ever would have crossed paths, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. So that's a whole story in itself. So we grew up military family. Wow. So my brothers were all, yeah, military officers. My, um, we've, I think we fought in every war in this country's history. So it's, I think time for somebody else. Well, I would say thank you for your service, but it sounds like it may not generationally stop with you. I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. I mean, we grew up with a lot of stories. My dad had some, some crazy stuff that he had done. Um, so yeah, but I have three older brothers. They're all military officers. One was a Marine. The other two were in the army. Um, so yeah, we, we just kind of grew up with a military background. So like, how did that training, that education, that service sort of help you as you kind of transferred that to corporate America? Yeah, I mean, I was more of uh, the creative humanities side and going to West Point, at least at the time, we were forced to do an engineering track of some kind. Um, And so it forced you into analytics and numbers. And we took like Calc 2 and Physics 2 and thermodynamics and all this stuff that was not my first choice on things. But then I I did a major in art history, philosophy and literature to kind of ground (laughs) myself out. It was really funny. I mean, I... um, uh, Dr. Samet, who's an absolutely amazing chick, still lives in the city, has written a bunch of books about um, uh, cadets and army officers and poetry and all these interesting things. It was this nice refuge to leave the academic area and the military side. And then you go into the humanities uh, academic rooms and it's like, you know, a PhD from Berkeley and Dr. Samuels from Yale. And it was like just totally different, you know, which was nice. So it was good kind of left brain, right brain. So taking that into corporate America was people always joke, they're like, you know, I'm an English major, would you like fries with that? Um, but I use it all the time. I'm with the marketing. I think marketing was the one, the one discipline or department where you can take creativity and numbers and you mash them together and fool people into buying things they don't need. Well, you had me at French fries. And <laughs> I think that is an interesting transition as we get into just you <laughs> and your background. Having just wrapped up a stint as CMO at SPB Hospitality, mm-hmm. which listeners may know or may not know, but is the umbrella company for many, many, many restaurants from Crystal and, and Casual QSR all the way up to Jay Alexander's, my in-laws favorite restaurant in Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. But Same, mine, mine as well. In, your, <laughs> in this vast experience now, as we start to think and go back and trace your roots, how has the marketing landscape in the restaurant and hospitality sector evolved really in your time in this last decade? 
Yeah, so it's been interesting. So I uh, did an MBA, finished in 2011, and then it was right when 3G Capital bought Burger King. So we went in and there was, I think, 30 or 40 of us. Um, started out with seven floors. By the time I left a couple of years later, there were two. So just cut to the bone, but it was this obsession with data analytics, really kind of re they ran it more like an investment bank um, and unbelievably smart people at 3G. Um, but, you know, it was uh, it was a tough place to work, but I learned a lot. But I saw social digital, all those things weren't a thing then. 2011, I remember like people had Facebook, it had been out, but there was still no way to really like, monetize or advertise yet. And it was this cool, oh, we should be posting on social media. That's kind of neat. But yeah, well, we're going to spend like, you know, we're going to buy like 700 GRPs a week on linear broadcast <laughs> and, you know, all of billboards and all the traditional stuff. Right. So it was interesting having to learn that stuff on the fly. And I felt like there was this generation of marketers around the time that had to learn digital um, and learn, you know, apps and MarTech and technology, all of these things while still understanding a basic media plan and what GRPs are and explain that to franchisees for us and all that. So you, now it's, you come in and none of that stuff is really, it's just not as prevalent. I mean, we're trying to get people off of broadcasts or traditional things and into more digital. Uh, but that's what I've seen the landscape change. The other side too, is that there is no marketing and then IT, they are one in the same. So you have to know tech, you have to know um, how agile works, how you get an app launch. Do you need to know what a Facebook SDK is just to do your job? So I would say marketing is more just customer experience period overall. I have a guest, by the way, my five-year-old came in and she snuck in through the door, which is very sneaky, but anyway. I, I oh, did it. welcome all I, guests. <laughs> and I didn't see anyone actually enter, so I figured either it was a ghost or someone at a very ver vertically challenged. <laughs> so, anyway, I mean, I would like to say it's her. It's her military training that we've started off. Very <laughs> well. I can. I remember one of the <laughs> first conversations not. Casey, you and I ever had. Um, it was on a Zoom call, probably during COVID, and I remember looking behind you, terrified to see a toddler, basically <laughs> hanging upside down from a treadmill. So I hope yeah. you have childproofed your home since then. Uh, it's an obstacle course, and it is good for their lives. I thought, look, we were all latchkey kids. You were just like, hey, just go outside and do something. Now it's stay inside and be dangerous. Um, so having worked with so many brands and obviously understanding the competitive landscape, like, you know, in that specific kind of QSR restaurant business, what do you think sets, you know, a, a like a successful marketing campaign from uh, from another you know like what what sets something apart i mean it, it, the easy answer is oh data and analytics and looking at your customer persona and all of those things that is true but i think the more i've gotten into this side is more of the behavioral science and psychology that we don't tap into enough so that why people are a chemical algorithm, we just are. We like to think that we are, no, that the smell of Cinnabon in the mall doesn't affect me. It 100% <laughs> does. Mm -hmm. So if you can ground a lot of things in that behavioral science and get those trigger points, I think that's ultimately what makes it. With AI, and I'm, I'm with a group uh, called Rad AI that's got a really cool tool uh, that I think is, is going to help revolutionize some of this stuff, but it'll actually scan your creative um, with an AI. And it, it's um, based on a social listening, natural language processor scrape to find personas about your brand. So it takes that, okay, this is, this is who those people really are, what they really say, 
because we all know what surveys are like. Surveys can be biased. Who knows? Then it scans the creative and says, yeah, this is going to resonate or it's not. So I think that's that'll be next. I don't want to say it's going to be idiot proof, but much more, much less subjective about this is good creative or not, you know, or a good campaign or not. Well, so on the flip side, then the question I would think or I'm curious about since you're. CV going back the last 15 years looks like the 10 places I recently ate lunch or dinner from BK to Outback (laughs) to LPQ. I mean, focus brands. What are some of the biggest myths or misconceptions about the industry that as an outsider you see and you're like, ah, if only you knew. Right. Um, I think that the biggest is between marketers themselves, right? Between CPG marketers um, and kind of those bigger, so I, I, I worked at AB InBev and, you know, really amazing group of people. Um, again, that 3G mentality about data and you know, keeping things, you know, EBITDA focused, blah, 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 but, you know, super, super smart people. Um, but still talking with people that were on the brands and we had retail, we had 600 bars and restaurants that we own globally that people don't know about. I mean, they were like Budweiser clubs in China, stuff like that. That's yeah. what our team ran. Yeah. So it was it was you guys are very fast and very tactical but we're more strategic and we're longer we're bigger thinking that's kind of like this split between retail marketers and cbg marketers and then retail and fat you know food especially foods especially fast and kind of crazy that we can't be strategic because we're just going so fast oh you just throw out a new lto and then we'll we'll kind of throw back to the cpg people well you have a new a new uh scent of tide that you're gonna roll out every two years that's not hard and so there is a little bit of this rivalry and misunderstanding about the two. But I think if you can combine both together, it's a bit more difficult within retail because it's sales and traffic, man. It's a knife fight on the street. So if you you can't say, well, I have a product pipeline that's two years in and I, I can't roll this out right now. I don't I haven't had the Kantar research back. I haven't like, no, you got to go. So that that's a, a little bit of, I think, the misconception. Please pardon this brief pause as I read some words from our sponsor. The Snarketing Podcast is brought to you, in part, by Secret Deodorants and Antiperspirants for Women. Secret Aluminum-Free Deodorant provides up to 48 hours of odor protection that is free of metals, parabens, dyes, alcohol, and talc. Let's just say, that's no secret. So sustainability and the rise of, of, of people talking about that and how, how do you integrate that into your business? How do you think restaurants in the hotel hotel business are adapting to marketing and appealing to sort of the eco-conscious consumer? Because obviously that's really important to many at this point. Yeah, I mean, that was a big push of ours at uh, Le Pan Quotidien. I get to say it in practice with Paul Say. Um, that's right. It's funny. So I've been we saying it wrong. Thing. <laughs> Me too, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, it is when people are like the pain, what's the pain? Um, you kind of die inside. No, our social media manager, Lexi had this really funny thing that she would put up. It was a, a user comment that said, I lie awake at night in fear that someone will, uh, force me to say in public, le pain quotidien. They were like, that was our, always our, our mantra. But, uh, no, so that was a big thing for us was good for the planet. Good for you. Um, but the space that we were in, you know, Pratt was trying to do the same thing. There's a lot of brands that are trying to do that. But it is also a lot more expensive. Those price points are much higher. Our golden rule in food and bev is you try to stay to a 30% food cost. Otherwise, the 
the, the flow through and the EBIT, like the model doesn't work, right? Um, and so trying to get the sustainability and some things are, I'm personally extremely passionate about. Um, and eventually it's going to have to happen, whether we accept it or not. But, you know, outside of the U.S., uh, Joe Bondell, who I used to work for, she ran McDonald's and Burger King in the U.S. And they had much more, or in the U.K., sorry. Um, they had much more organic things, uh, much more on the farm to table side. And it was a lot of it was just the regulation of Europe and the UK, but something that customers just demanded getting to it at scale is going to be, is going to be very difficult. Um, but I, I think that it's the march towards that. What we can't do is there are people that, um, a lot of our society that cannot afford a 10 or $12 hamburger, right? That, that, at that price point is a luxury item. So it does become a bit of the, you know, inequality of food is, is kind of crazy to, to think about, but it's true. I mean, you'll go into neighborhoods that do not have grocery stores and they only have fast food joints and it's because they can't get the economics to work or, or so they say. Um, and so I think that we, you know, nourishing food is a human right. It's something that we should all be striving for and climate change and everything else. It's, it, we're going to have to pay the piper eventually. So I think that a lot of brands are trying to move towards it, but we do need a big push on how you make the, the economics of it work. Is that harder in a franchise model where you have to yes. get buy-in from, yeah, okay. Yeah, because right off the top, these guys are paying royalties. They're paying ad right. funds and they're paying royalties. So it, when I say, oh, corporate stores at this, they're automatically taking a 10% haircut. So do you think then, given the pace and the rate of change that is happening just from a technological perspective, right? You mentioned the AI uh, project that you're working on, which sounds rad, by the way. Are there emerging technologies? Yeah. Are there emerging technologies or platforms or uh, ideas that you think will revolutionize marketing in hospitality sooner rather than later? I think so. I mean, um, at, at Focus Brands, I, was, I led digital transformation and uh, the, the saying or the mantra from our CEO, Jim, was he had come from Hilton, that restaurants were like 10 years behind even hotels. And hotels were a little bit behind, say, like Delta, you know, or some people who are really mad. We talked about this. But I think that that, that transformation catch up is going to continue to happen with restaurants. Um, and that will help, at least on the marketing side for us. But it really is about personalization. So we've talked about this before. Loyalty, everything else just spams you. Like restaurants, we spam people constantly. Hey, here's a BOGO. Valerie will love a BOGO. Why wouldn't you love a BOGO, right? <laughs> You know the information, the data, everything else. You can use AI. You can use machine learning algorithms. I actually hate bogus. No, actually, Valerie doesn't. <laughs> yes. You might. I don't know. You know, you might just want points. Or you may have just come in anyway. You didn't need anything. Um, so I think that there is a lot on that side that will help. It's always going to just be really tight margins within all of retail. I mean, I've worked at a specialty retailer before as a CMO. And again, a little bit better than food, but it was still tight. I mean, you're trying to tell that you sell a barbecue grill. Margins are always going to be a little rough. So now that you have a moment to pause and look back at everything that you've accomplished, and it's quite an impressive. It's staggering. Resume. I mean, it's unbelievable. Well, so now, now let's stop thinking and no, start. No, sorry, that was completely How do you nonsense. stay so humble? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think being humble, you just have to be humble about it. 
I think the best way when you talk about yourself, though, is to put your hand on your chest and close your eyes. And say, I just really want to thank the children. No, I, I do have a motto of don't don't believe your own bullshit. Um, so I, I think it's funny. I think that that is a good thing that my I have a text thread with a bunch of West Point Army buddies. And if you do anything publicly, you are absolutely roasted. Like linked, my LinkedIn is just on fire with these guys, but it's all, you know, they keep within the group. It's like, a, it's my own personal Friars Club on here, right? <laughs> and it is, it does kind of ground you because you're like, man, I really need to say and do things where I don't sound like a complete asshole. Um, and th they keep you grounded in a good way. So bullying is a good to thing. West Point then. I should have gone to West Point because that would have kept my ego in check. That's, oh well. Lesson learned. I think it knows no bounds. Matt, I'm happy to start a text thread to <laughs> critique your posts <laughs> offline. I would appreciate that. Yeah. I, um, you know, I think the algorithm speaks for itself. Most of them get ones of impressions. And then every once in a while, one takes off. And I'm like, what did I do? That was a mistake. Well, it's the old, the old Roman triumph days with, with, with generals where they would, if you, you got a triumph as a Roman general, you, you rode into the city with all of your spoils and everything else, and there, a slave would ride on the chariot with you with this golden wreath over your, you know, the laurel over your head. You'd paint your face red to look like Jupiter. It's this whole thing. And the slave's <laughs> job was to whisper in your ear, you are not a god, you are not a god. And it's, it's kind of crazy. I think humans need, yes, there's, there's thousands of people cheering for you. You just have this in amazing triumph but you know what don't get over your yeah, get over yourself right that should be a role at many big companies who just sit right to the left of a cmo or a ceo and just say that exact same thing because that you're not a god <laughs> yeah. you might see longer tenures at an executive level you might see you know, or shorter better well uh, yeah, well, if they're certainly not a god, there are certain there are many alternatives to what they could be. <laughs> so I I did just just play into the whole TikTok challenge or a TikTok whatever it was of how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And my friend who works at TikTok, Jenna, oh, yes. texted me that immediately, and I said obviously every day, and then went into this entire and I I became I became the meme. So is is this like a west point thing because like that whole TikTok thing that, that blew my mind i had no idea where this came from i think it's a i think it's a guy thing i don't know i mean i i don't really? know i think it's just a guy thing but yeah but the the challenge back i i did see that was funny was uh the female version of that is victorian england and you're like all right oh all right james a lot of that you're like all right i think it does go both ways <laughs> I'm surprised that didn't happen during the Downton Abbey craze. I feel like that would have been a great uh, supporting marketing opportunity. Uh, they missed out. They should have used did. machine learning AI. So well, if you were... was available then. <laughs> so if you were stranded on a desert island, what would be your favorite meal from either any of the places that you've worked at? Or I guess you could pick your own. Oh, man. I think it should be at any of the restaurants he's worked at. Okay, okay, yeah, answer that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I think you, if you walk in with uh, competitor stuff, like we had people when I worked at LPQ that would walk in with prep cups, and I think our CEO would like sm smack it out of their hand, like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, like, they're like, but it's downstairs. You're like, they're the enemy. They're not, oh, they're lovely that's, people. That's a no-no. It's like that's a no -no. at an agency yeah. when you work, we work with Coca-Cola, you're 
your neighbors. And if anyone, if they were coming in the office and someone had a Pepsi product, like they would send out emails, like clear your desks. (laughs) De-Pepsify everything. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. I mean, I, I am huge fan and it's terrible because I try to be really healthy, but Aussie cheese fries, man, from Outback. Dude, those are so good. Uh, that and Alice Springs chicken. I think I would probably go with Outback food just because it's so. I I just I loved it, and I have so much pals there. Um, and then Carabas too is kind of my I think my number two. My, my buddy Bronze runs marketing there, and he has the greatest name ever, Bronze Major. His name is Bronze Major. And I'm like that's like Max Power or like Trent Steel or something. <laughs> he should or definitely. some sort of West Point, you know? Yeah, he should honorary medal that you earn. <laughs> this is the bronze major yes that's society right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm willing to bet that you have traveled to some pretty interesting or exotic locations what is the most interesting place you've been and had a meal and what was it alabama hands down i'm just i'm just birmingham. No. Oh. Um, yeah that's always my go-to um yeah one time i went to birmingham <laughs> uh, interesting places. It's a good one. Uh, it's not so much a meal as it was a drink. Uh, so my brother and I were in Korea at the same time. Um, we're both in the army at the same time. He was an Apache pilot, uh, which was kind of crazy. Guy, you guy went to Penn. So we went. Can we have him in... on, Valerie? We, yeah. we're booking the wrong person. We've got the wrong brother. No. I'm the I'm the the prep for him for his ultimate <laughs> triumph. Um, you are the Travis Kelsey to his Jason Kelsey, the far more interesting true. brother. Right. You you two fighting Quakers get together, the ultimate paradox of a fighting Quaker. Exactly. Um, so anyway, there was a bunch of us that were out. Uh, we went to uh, a bar in Osan, and the female provider, our proprietor came out, um, and she had uh, what's called a snake shot, which is a big jar with a uh, once live, now dead, uh, cobra wrapped up inside. And there's soju, formaldehyde, who knows what's in this thing. And she kind of ladles out the snake shots and there's scales in this thing and the whole, the whole nine. There's, like, there's a great, very grainy video because this was like 2004, I think, um, of, of out there. <laughs> And uh, she asked you, do you want to ride the snake? And everybody asked you, oh, I want to ride the snake. And by then we had had, we had, had a few other sojus. And so we all took snake shots in Osan in Korea. And it was unbelievably horrible, but it was a cool experience. I mean, I'll be honest. Those are the people I want defending my country. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you don't want me who's afraid to try like mild because it's too spicy in the chicken wing restaurant. <laughs> yeah, this was... This was this was next level. Um, I did feel very badly for the snake, but he had he had since parted the world many many years ago. <laughs> Amazing. How did you feel afterwards? Did you feel empowered? <laughs> uh, I didn't feel my. It's more what I didn't feel, like my face. Um, so that yeah. But there was there's I mean there there I had never experienced soju before, which is a Korean liquor. Yeah. Yeah. And you know they'll. They'll take a one liter of like Mountain Dew and cut the top off. And it's like soju, soju, soju. And then that was the first time I had ever felt really, yeah. quote, hammered. I was with guys at a pool hall. Pool hall. Um, there's a, you know, a bunch of lieutenants and cadets hanging out. And I had two of these and I stood up and I 
felt like somebody hammered me back down and I just sat down in my seat and was like, oh, all right, no. this is a soju nightmare. Yeah, but that's <laughs> Korea. I mean, Korea is, Korea is a fun time. I got to get there. I feel like I'd fit right in. Um, so if, if you weren't in marketing, um, what sort of career do you think you would have taken? Brother always makes this joke that he used to, when he was single, he used to tell girls at the bar that he was a parade planner. That was his, <laughs> people were like, really? I'm like, oh yeah, big time parade planner. <laughs> Everyone uh, loves a parade. They're full of hot air guys. Let's not. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he would um, agree. Um, oh man. Uh, a good question. I think, um, if money, I mean, if it was, it's one of those things of like, you, uh, you would do something based on like pragmatism of, oh, I need to earn money. I need to do this. I think I'd probably want to, uh, go into like theater or acting or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause I, I really enjoyed that, that in high school. Yeah. But I would think I was too scared, um, you know, to try to make, I, I have some friends that, that gave it a go and did pretty well. Um, but still, that was one of those things of like, oh, man, I can't, I, I need to have money and being like a starving mm -hmm. artist wasn't. Well, of, of all the interesting things that I see in your background, having gone back further than I wanted to on your LinkedIn profile, running a and <laughs> b like, yeah, what was like, that seems like there were some crazy things that you must have seen. What was the most memorable guest experience or story that you either first-hand or second-hand encounter? Wait, where was this B&B? Uh, St. Augustine, Florida. Mm, so we okay. had a ghost. It was an 1894 Victorian. So St. Augustine is the oldest city in, in America. Yeah. Um, all the Bostonians that would come visit would uh, disagree, but we're like, sorry, guys, we got you beat by like 80 years. Um, <laughs> so my family uh, bought an old Victorian in town, uh, right downtown, uh, when I was in high school. And we restored the thing together as a family. And it was, when we say restored, it was just us. It was a lot of work. So like, you know, I'd go to a football two a days and then come home and then work on the house, like ripping asbestos siding off. And <laughs> my brothers and I broke up the, uh, the, um, the driveway with, with, with sledgehammers, not with Jack, like with a sledgehammer. Yeah. In, in the Florida heat in August, it was great. So this was my oldest brother, because it was on If Walls Could Talk on HGTV, and my, my oldest brother kind of did the segment. And he was like, it was a labor of love. And I was like, "Where? what are you talking about? This is awful. <laughs> like, this is a labor of insanity. Wait, but so did you we say that it was haunted, by the way? Is, is that... It was haunted. Did you know that before you guys bought it? We did not. Uh, apparently people in the town knew. But like everything in St. Augustine is haunted. I mean, it's from 1565. It's old as hell. So it was the Henry Flagler came, put the railroad through, right? One mm -hmm. of his, um, his, uh, he would build houses for his guys. Um, the, the gentleman that built our house was named Conrad Decker. He was from Boston, had a very successful brewery. Um, I think he was part of the Flagler consortium somehow. Uh, and, and his wife, Sophie, uh, died in the house. So she lived there until like the 20s or 30s. It was 1894 all the way to the 20s. So Sophie was the one that, that haunted the house, we think. But it was weird things. It was stuff like the room would go cold and you would kind of feel. Um, I remember when I was in high school, I was in the shower 
of course, Sophie came, came at the shower. Um, <laughs> but the, I had the radio on and I, uh, it was on, you know, like old boom boxes, right? And she had turned it, it was on CD mode. I'm dating myself there. And it had, <laughs> she had switched it or somebody had to radio and changed the dial to classical. I, didn't do that. Right, I, was, yes. I was home alone. So we would have guests come down that were like, is, and it was always in, it was of course my room. That's where she died. So guests would come down in the morning and they were like, is there something? And they're like, oh, you probably had a run in with Sophie. How do you reconcile as someone in marketing who has a, a fundamental reliance on and belief in the data and the science and the insights associated with human behavior? How do you reconcile that with Sophie's ghost? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, uh, do you have Sophie's any data story, or Sophie metrics goes. to, can you back <laughs> this up with any art and there's the science. Okay. All right. That was looking at the art of this. No, I mean, I think about it and we're like, there's no way, but part of it is I think people, we kind of freak ourselves out. You know what it probably was, was that I turned the damn radio to classical and didn't remember, you know, but who knows? It was still a feeling. There's something ethereal. There's some, there is something weird about there's. that. Of, there is. I don't know what it is, but it's you. You get feelings. You have intuition. Um, but things like rooms going cold and stuff like that has always been kind of weird. So there's your data. I mean, I could have just taken the temperature. Okay, so causation I, I believe... and correlation, not necessarily. Okay, got it. I mean, I, we I, did. I, we I, did have a. I did have a friend who had, you know, who had. Uh, she was not clairvoyant, but she had. She would see things. And I didn't tell her anything about this. She came into the house sat down in the parlor because we had a parlor and said Sophie's really happy with what you did with the house don't be afraid of her and I was like how do you know who Sophie is she was like she, everything's fine that freaked me out oh my god and you know maybe maybe she you know maybe she went through our dumpster I don't know but I don't think she did <laughs> like digging for clothes that's <laughs> wasn't on like a trip advisor review somewhere that she no it wasn't yeah I mean advisor, right? she, yeah exactly I mean, I, but those were, those were, uh, the other funny thing are just speaking of human behavior. So my mom, my mom ran the B and D for like 20 years. And when she passed away, my wife and my brothers and I ran it, but you know, I was kind of the head of this thing because I was the closest. So my wife and I would go back, you know, uh, once a month or so check in with the staff, make sure everything was okay. But my mom's stories were funnier. So I remember it, you know, it was like two in the morning and the power went off and we had eight suites. So there's probably about 20 people in the end at, at that point. Um, two in the morning. What do normal people do at two, three in the morning? They're asleep. The power had gone off. All of the guests came down to her room, to the innkeeper's room, knocked on the door and said, the power's out. I said, okay. It's like, well, what do we do? Said, what were you doing? Well, we were sleeping. Well, then go back to bed. <laughs> you don't need so it's funny. nighttime. What did Sophie shout at me? People are funny. They're just funny. That's really weird. I, I hope that Sophie haunted them good that night because they woke my mother up at two in the morning. <laughs> I have a haunted – I lived in a haunted house as well, and I remember, like, my friend bringing Let's their hear cat. It. Oh, I remember – I just remember, like, my friend bringing their cat over to the house, and the cat refused to go in. And there was, like, no reason, but it was, like – just like doing the hissing and the like, do not allow me. And I feel like cats have an intuition. And then another time, like mm. one of the couch pillows had like 
and like it was like in the kitchen and nobody knew why and everyone was like I swear to you I'm not messing with you like why is it very odd things here and there so um and we went to the city hall to try and find history on the house and they had no history after 100 years but it's still clearly older than a 100 year old home so it was uh something happened there for sure the guy died 105 years ago brutally horrifically murdered by a cat (laughs) so Oh my gosh. You don't want to know, Valerie. It's like this, this, this stupid ghost tale my brothers had when we, we lived in North Carolina. We moved all the time. There was the baby with the two fingers. That was the ghost story in the town. And it was like, okay. And it was like, well, the baby with the two fingers is going to scratch you and then you die. And you're like, that was the ghost story. Stupid kids were like, oh, that's... <laughs> But by the way, you guys know there are separate podcasts for this type of ridiculousness, right? It's true. A ghost podcast now. We've moved on from. Yeah. <laughs> I, I maybe. I mean, maybe we just need to. Um, we need to find a different outlet for our creativity. That's, that's <laughs> exactly. We just have storytelling. Um, yeah. I can try and reel this back in, though, with regards to Mark. I doubt you're capable of it. But why? (laughs) Go go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Speaking of, you know. this random tangent. (laughs) No, I I suppose, you know, supernatural stuff. If you had a superpower to enhance your ability in marketing, what would it be? Uh, Clairvoyance. (laughs) <laughs> I knew he were going to say that. I would want to know what everyone at like, just what's going to happen or what is it? What is, what is everyone else thinking? You know, something like that. Oh my gosh. Just, I feel like in marketing, you're always trying to guess what your customer wants and needs and you build all these models. And I mean, that's the whole thing with AI is like, how do we take the guesswork out of it? You know, and, and, oh, we'll test and we'll learn and do AB and all these things. If I just knew then I would be the most successful person in the history of the universe. Okay, so Valerie, you did bring it back, and I have one last <laughs> question before we, before we go to the lightning round. So, so anyway, so back a, to ghost cats. So this no, ghost nope, cat. Do not. Nope. I'm putting the guard. So I anyway, side so saw blasting. <laughs> well, what? What is given your penchant for um, the absurd? <laughs> What is the most ridiculous creative idea or marketing idea that you've seen actually turn out to be successful, whether you are part of it or not? Oh, the Noid, hands down. The Noid, oh, part of Little the Caesars? Noid. Domino's. Domino's. Yeah, I don't even, I don't The know. Noid is the most absurd, like, it is the, as a child, the greatest ad campaign of all time. A claymation <laughs> thing with rabbit ears that destroys your pizza. Like, what? And that would have been became... like a breakfast cereal mascot, right? You know how it ended? No. It ended here. It ended like five miles from my house in Atlanta. So there was a guy named, I think, Christopher Noyd, who clearly had some mental illness, unfortunately. It was very sad. But he thought that Domino's and the CEO were personally attacking and mocking him. So he oh. went to a Domino's in Chambly, Georgia, and like, took the place over with a gun and the whole nine and like everybody was fine. I think the staff all ran, but they, they say they didn't end the Noid campaign because of that. But I think they did because of that. But you're like, somehow 
you know, this claymation cartoon <laughs> character gets turned into the voices are telling me I, I, everyone's out to get me. You're mocking yeah. me. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's pretty well, wild. There's no be- bad PR. I think um, there might be. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that and, and the one that I, I was personally uh, more involved with was The King. Um, so The King was obviously a little bit before my time. Um, but at Burger King, we had a lot of fun with The King. And it was just this the creepy plastic face and everything. He retired for a little bit, then we brought him back. But when he retired in 2011, um, my buddy John Burbridge, he's at Shake Shack now, he and I somehow got a hold of the King's email. He had an email. <laughs> we were terrible people. Um, <laughs> but everybody's email addresses at Burger King was your name at whopper.com. So he was the king at Whopper.com. I mean, it's still the best email. Casey Carroll at Whopper.com is amazing. Mm-hmm. So we would, <laughs> and you have to remember at the time, there were seven floors and only we only occupied like two. So there were entire floors of, of the home, of the, the RSC, the home office that were empty. And we called them like the zombie apocalypse floors because they still had people's desks and stuff and everything was, all the lights were off and it was like, Oh, I need a tre- you know, I need a staple. Well, I'll just go down to three and just grab one off somebody's desk. And it was just weird. So we would <laughs> email friends, people that we're, you know, we're, we're in the truck tree from the king at whopper.com. And hey, need to see you down on the third floor, you know, or something terrible like that. So people would just get <laughs> random emails from, uh, from the king. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, that, we that did could have, have been a campaign, by the way. I, I, right? Like, <laughs> Seriously. The king messing with people. That was kind of, yeah. that was the creative at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think it was like, it was a surprise and delight kind of thing. They'd used it before of like randomly, if you won something, you would get something from the king. So like there was an actual business use for it, but it was also a, a fun way to have, you know, it was a good time. Okay. So with that, we are going to transition to our lightning round, which we call Gone in 60 Seconds. It's six questions in more or less, usually more than 60 seconds. But the first question these are the only questions we really prepared other than like knowing your LinkedIn background, but this okay. one could not have worked out better. And it is, and I will start the clock. If you could swap jobs with any fictional character, who would it be? I think we know the answer. I would not want to be the annoyed. I don't want to destroy everybody's pizza. Oh, Maybe, or the king. king. No, it wasn't. The king. <laughs> any fictional character? I any fictional with? character. It can, yeah. You can go beyond um, email addresses that you've taken over. Solo. Han Solo. Mm. Okay. Badass yeah. rebel, pirate of the universe. Or the Killed galaxy. by his son. Obviously, my son will one day end me. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and let's let's shift this a bit. So what's your go-to karaoke song for a creative night out? Uh Don't Stop Believing, Journey. Okay. Good. Uh live in any city in the world, where would you go? What'd you say? Lightning round. I said, oh, sorry. I said New York. Oh, okay. Right. I'm not a Brooklyn guy. Yeah. So maybe, maybe they were, move back. They were, they were Paris. Paris, London, New York. That's kind of the okay. trifecta. That's a very bougie white man thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I is, dig it. <laughs> what is your, um, you have a go-to guilty pleasure food or drink after a long oh, day? Oh, car- uh, food, caramello, caramello candy bars. Ooh. Caramello candy bars. I still are, remember yeah. their jingle from the 1980s cartoon or commercials. Caramello, right? Yeah. Wasn't that it? Wasn't that their commercial? The radio yeah, or, or something's fun? 
It could be. Who's going to fact check you? I <laughs> right. And you know what? Note to, note to editor, just cut that out if I was wrong. <laughs> um, that or for Vice, uh, a good California cab. I used hmm. to be a big bourbon. I mean, I like bourbon, but I think like having a really good cab is, again, I, this is like the gone in 60 seconds white guy bougie edition, apparently. <laughs> Uh, yeah, brought to you. Je voudrais, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Je voudrais mange du cob. Uh, a lot of French in this episode. We we um, also note to My, our marketing team to target the French very highly with this one. Yes, uh, my grandmother's Parisian, so that's why I say she's not. You'll notice I didn't say French. She is Parisian. She will correct it. Born and raised. Yeah, in Ile de la Cité, right? Yeah, oh. Ile de la Cité. Oui. Actually, I should say way if I want to sound cool. Way. You've sounded cool the entire episode. So this is our last question. Um, it may have only been five questions. I, again, who's counting? But call this the one-word challenge. If you had to sum up your marketing philosophy in just one word, can you do it? Indescribable. Oh, that is so good. Wow. You pulled it out. <laughs> That's always my, I love that in interviews, in interview questions. They're like, if you can describe yourself in one word, what is it? I'm like, indescribable. And they're always like, damn it. Mine is verbose. That's, I, go, I go with verbose, right? It's ironic. But yours was great. <laughs> uh, as was this entire conversation. Because hey, I, I feel like we could go on for longer. But the uh, clock on the wall is telling me that we've hit exactly the right amount of time for optimized listening experience. <laughs> so we're going to wrap it up, but not before we say thank you and excited to see where, why, how, what, when you continue on your journey and, and, and impact in this space. So thanks again for being here. So great. Yeah, this, was a, this was a lot of fun and everybody should join. And we should talk yeah. more about ghosts and cats. Right, I'm gonna, we'll, <laughs> so we'll Valerie do that and I are going to start. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna after have after another... we stop recording, I'm going to go get a cab. I'm going to call your Parisian grandma while you guys talk. <laughs> well, that's a wrap. And that certainly got weird, but in a fun way. Thanks to Casey for spending time with us, and to you, our listeners, for always being there. Or even just sometimes being there. Happy holidays to all, and to all, good night.